So I just want to invite you to take a moment to notice what it was like to settle and what you encountered in your experience arising within you or from around you. And the practice of meditation has many different functions and possibilities that it offers us and often we can have a sense or an idea that meditation is about where we get calm and quiet and all the difficult things go away and just the kind of nice things are left and uh, if you're trying to sell people tickets to meditation that's kind of what you suggest now yeah. and yet if one engages in the practice one knows and very quickly realizes oh in fact it involves meeting the whole uh, range of experience and yet we can still sometimes have a subtle sense of oh yeah sure we have to meet the whole range of experience but aren't we supposed to be going towards the, the calm and the quiet and the sort of soft and sweet and gentle and lovely and that's one aspect yes in developing meditation practice that's one element of development that's helpful but equally importantly is the aspect of opening to and responding to the experience and the world we encounter and we can do that both inwardly but in terms of coming to this day it's clear the topic is not one that's necessary we look at that and think oh contemplating that will make me feel more calm make me feel more relaxed make me feel comfortable probably not because in fact to talk about the conditions that we might see in the world that stand out to us of concern doesn't make us feel more calm necessarily or more at ease or sort of oh I'm much happier thinking about all of this than when I wasn't but there's something really important in doing so and so you know in the in the in the turning our attention to anything in fact in a meditative spirit it's like we're contemplating what happens when I turn towards this what's useful what's possible here rather than I should not think about it so I can be calm or I've got to think about it so I'm real or whatever we might imagine is the sort of the, the thing we're supposed to be because at the heart of it we're not supposed to be anything other than what and where we are but we have the possibility to engage with that in a, a skillful and creative way to perhaps bring more of what we wish for in our life and our world into being the possibility of development of cultivation of the word meditation in fact was used to translate the word the Buddha used bhavana which doesn't mean meditation at all but meditation was the word that the sort of middle-class middle-aged English academics of the Victorian era who first translated the Buddha's teachings into English they used the word meditation because that's what you did in the traditions they knew what it actually translates as bhavana translates as cultivation development it's like growing something or bringing something into being more precisely and so it's like what can we bring 
into being in our hearts, our minds, our world. And peace is one of the things that we can move in the direction towards bringing this more fully into being. But also, we could say justice. And justice, interestingly, the activist sort of slogan from long ago, my early sort of, I think probably in my teens, I would have, you know, no peace without justice. At an inner level, we won't come to peace unless we make space for everything that's here and listen to what it has to say. Inner justice involves letting all our range of inner experience be listened to. It doesn't have to be followed, but it has to be included. And at a larger, and we could say collective and global level, Peace isn't going to come unless there is the inclusion of the listening to all of the voices, all of the needs, all of the concerns. It doesn't mean that each and every one of us is going to get exactly what we want, but only by that more expansive, inclusive orientation can the resolution to what otherwise seems to be conflicts between what one person wants and what another wants, or what seems possible and what seems necessary. And all of that is, is kind of like context for saying, okay, so what I want to say is that we're here in the midst of a time that I probably don't think you need me to say of deep concern for the direction and the outcomes of where our human collective community has brought itself and the world and where it is going from here. And the three broad intersecting realms we could just name in that in terms of social justice, in terms of climate emergency as it's expressed, and equally the ecological emergency and crisis that we're in the midst of. And just naming these things in line with the way the Buddha began in his sort of foundational teaching, say, there is that which is hard to bear in life, dukkha. Suffering it's often translated at, but what is hard to bear, what, turning towards this. At first we don't want to, but actually it's a relief, it seems to me, when someone says, yeah, sometimes things are really hard, aren't they? And it's like, yeah, they are, aren't they? Do we recognize that? And so there's something about not just as an expression of our inner experience, but oh, and sometimes things are of deep concern, are really difficult. And to name that, and just let ourselves pause and breathe with, okay, at least we acknowledge and recognize that this is a significant element of where we are right now. The Buddha did not say that life was only that which is hard to bear. There's also that which is beautiful and blessed. But there is that which is hard to bear, dukkha. And likewise, I'm not saying that the world is only the crises that we can name and need to engage with. But clearly they need to be included as it is equally important to include what is blessed, what is beautiful, what is noble, and what is uplifting that we can observe taking place in the world in 
the activity of humanity and human beings. Equally important to say that. And to notice what arises when we turn our attention to that which is hard to bear. So often we kind of don't really want to go there, understandably, because in our culture we haven't necessarily been helped or shown or learned how to handle that. We've been kind of told, well, if that's happening, it's because you've obviously failed your life, you know, which is a test. And if you're not just enjoying and having pleasant experiences and happy outcomes and successful results, then it's your fault. And of course, this is not true. To see the universality of this is to understand that no matter what we did with our life, whatever choices we made, this will still be part of what we encounter. So it's not about judging ourselves or blaming anyone, but understanding that, ah, we need to, we need to look and see what's going on here. And likewise, looking into the world at the, the crises we might see to understand these are manifestation and expressions of universal forces that we could call, and, and the Buddha's teachings we would talk about, greed, hatred, and delusion. The greed that disregards the impact of, what, of me getting what I want on other people. Sometimes we need to take care of ourselves, but when we disregard the impact on others of doing that, we see the effect. And hatred, the, the tendency to reject, to dismiss as without value, to see without offering significance those things, those people, those conditions that we don't feel we therefore need to care about and might actively seek to harm or destroy. And delusion. The idea at the heart of it that we are or could in any way be separate from everything else around us. That we could form a path or live a life that wasn't touched by and didn't also touch everything around us. Which is really what the underlying fantasy of separation suggests. And human activity based on the idea that I can do things which will affect others but they won't affect me, is a complete fallacy. I've often reflected in recent years on the language we use. Ever thought about the word throwing something away? Away suggests there's somewhere else you can throw it that isn't here. But if we look into our oceans and we look into the cells of our own bodies and our children's bodies, we see that what we've thrown away hasn't gone away. It's come back. And the plastics and the oceans are also swimming in the very cells of our newborn babies. And it's like, huh, there's no way. And that's a very simple statement of the mistake that we collectively at times have engaged in. And the impact on it, of it, that's there. The idea that we can extract and exploit and destroy ecosystems, perhaps nearby or far distant, without harming ourselves is a complete mistake. I imagine that you're here not because you're unaware of that, 
but just to name, oh, these that we see, these things we see in the world are expressions of the primary forces of the mind that we seek to engage with in meditation. And meditation, in my mind, in my understanding, is both the, or cultivation, bhavana, bringing into being what is wholesome and blessed and beneficial, is both an inner and an outer engagement. Because there isn't an absolute inner and outer separation. So it must be so. To say I could do my work here and not have to do some work there would be to miss that these two will keep touching each other. Or I'm going to do my work out there and not in here. This is a challenge for activists who think it's all about out there. It's both. It seems to me. And so we might notice what our responses are in hearing this and through reflecting on this. You know, there may be quite understandably fear, anger, hopelessness, helplessness, you know, sense of isolation or smallness, a sense of overwhelm or confusion. And it's important we meet those responses with compassion. We'll, 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 we'll I'll be guiding some practices as we go along but in these territories, but just kind of wanting to lay out some of the field that we're choosing to step into today. And just in noticing those experiences that may arise for us here or at other times that may be difficult and challenging in response to just looking into the world and seeing what's happening. I didn't, when we scheduled this day, realize it would fall during the COP27 meeting in uh, Egypt that's taking place right now as world leaders are gathering to decide what to do. And amongst and with the world leaders, a relatively small number of people coming from uh, what we'd call more an activist perspective, who are allowed into the actual conversation, representative of some NGOs that are <coughs> seeking to move our collective trajectory towards sanity and survival. And I heard, was it in the news recently, 600 representatives of the fossil fuel lobby outnumbering probably everyone else. And we know what they're there for. And it's like, oh, who let them in the door? But, of course, this is the world we're in. And what do we, how do we respond to this? Because part of me goes, oh, you know. But part of me also goes, okay, so we have to do what we can do here. And to stop and acknowledge, huh? There is dukkha. There is that which is hard to bear is also to understand no, there is a cause to this and an end that can be made to this. And this is the this is what the teachings offer, a way to engage. So I just again want to name 
the three things I've named and just really invite you to take your attention into your body. Notice what happens when I just name these things. What is now being called anthropogenic, as in human-caused climate destabilization and all of what that involves. Again, anthropogenic, human-caused dukkha. The loss of species and the destruction of ecosystems, systems upon which all of our life and lives depend. In the service of the production and consumption of materialism and uh, economic imperatives. And the issues of the oppression, the exploitation, the exclusion, and the demeaning and diminishing of so many communities within the larger human community. With regard to gender, and important here to name the impact of patriarchy in our culture, the effect on women. Ethnicity, our heritage, where we've come from, and the effect of racism and cultures of white supremacy. The way people have experienced their communities of the range of gender identities, of sexual orientations, of ability, of neurology, to be not honored, included, valued or supported to flourish. And this in the, in the realm of social justice, that for me, all of this is an expression of exactly what also has led to the climate and ecological emergency. The placing of some part of the wholeness and interconnectedness of life or of the human community or the animal or the plant or the the biosphere, placing that outside of the field of what I will most cherish and care for, but that I can therefore oppress or exploit for my own benefit. My, me here being me personally, but equally human beings collectively or dominant groups of human beings. I had a encounter with a indigenous New Zealander a few years ago when I was visiting the country where I grew up. Um, I wasn't born there and I haven't lived there for 30 years, but that's where I lived the first 
two and a half decades of my life. And so I have a lot of deep feeling and resonance for the, the people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I met this, this man, Nukaroa, in the, in the forest, in the wilderness. We were staying in a hut and he with his, his children, his family of three generations were with him. And I arrived um, not very well. And to make the story short, he gave me some really beautiful healing touch and we had we made a very lovely contact and I was so touched by his bringing me into the little community of his of his three generations of family that were there himself his son and their baby child as well as four of his siblings and all of their family so it was quite a gathering that they brought me into and I'd not met them before didn't know them at all but I said to him after we'd had this contact, I said, I feel so grateful for just your including me. Because I grew up in New Zealand as a kind of a weird kid from a strange background who had a name no one could pronounce and was, I'm a quarter Indian, it doesn't show anymore, but I was darker than the kids at school. And that was the darkest kid in school back then where I was in what I would call now the deep south of New Zealand. Um, and there was nothing in my lunchbox anybody could recognize. So I had my own experience of being, you know, in a way, othered. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, a white cisgender heterosexual male, or at least I pass as white, I'm mixed race. But that doesn't impede my progress through the world. So I want to name that. And so I, I said to him, thank you so much. I just was so touched by what happened. I said, can I, I'd like to give you something, but of course we're in the mountains eight hours hard hiking with a big pack from the road. If I give him anything, he has to carry it. So I didn't want to actually physically give him. So I said, Is it, I'd love to give you something, but I don't want to weigh you down. He said, thank you. I would like to ask something from you. And this is what he said. He said to me, could you tell your children? And we hadn't talked about whether I had children or not. He said, can you tell your children, and I knew straight away he didn't mean my necessarily physical children, whether I had any or not, which I actually don't, but he, he was talking about my people, Pākehā, we would say in New Zealand, the, the non-Māori, the, non, um, the white European dominant in New Zealand, Pākehā. He said, would you tell your children that my children, and he wasn't talking about just his son who was there, my children, tell your children and in fact, he didn't say my, he said our children. He said, tell your children that our children love them. It was like, after the challenges of what it had been to be colonized, he said, tell your children that our children love them. He said, and then he said, and could you ask your children to please love our children? And it just, you know, was so powerful and simple as a request. Could we also love his children? And so me telling the story as part of my fulfilling the request of Nukuroa that he asked of me is just as all of us children of a culture. And we may feel ourselves in different locations here. Not everyone may feel themselves coming from a European culture. And rightly, 
wherever your culture is. But so far as we are also part of a, in a way, a successful, in a material way, a dominant culture as a, as a broader sense, we may feel some resonance for that. But for me, it really touches me deeply to think it's true, not just that in words to say, of course, I care for these people. But what does that mean to live my life in that way? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.